This is CliffCentral.com. Grant, I need to make a critical business decision. We've been expanding rapidly, and my gut feel tells me that we should be investing for growth. But I need to put some financial science behind that gut feel of mine. Don't you have a financial manager or director that can help you with that? But isn't that rather expensive? It doesn't have to be. Why don't you contact the finance team? They're a consultancy that can provide you with a part-time financial manager or director at a fraction of the cost of a full-time resource. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of The Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Leandi Streeter, business coach and guide from RaceCorp. Welcome, Leandi. Thank you, Richard. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. Last week, we spoke about what is ethical leadership and this whole question of keeping ethics alive, our hashtag, hashtag keep ethics alive, great podcast uh, with Cynthia and I guess Mark Turpin. So if you haven't had an opportunity to download that podcast, go ahead and uh, do that. It is on our website, www.thefinanceteam.co.za or on the Cliff Central website, www.cliffcentral.com. Today's theme, managing your receivables, the issues that you should be considering. Joining us on the line is our guest, Mark Essie. He is the CEO of a company called DebtIn, a specialized debt recovery provider. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Hi. Hi, Leandi. Hi, Richard. Mark. So, Mark, I found a survey or a study by a company called Rocket Lawyer that made the following statement. It said, one in four businesses struggles to collect payments from clients, while a shocking 43% have current invoices that are more than 90 days overdue. And I looked at those statistics and I thought, yeah, well, that kind of says it all. As a business in South Africa, and I think it's it's not only a South African challenge, it's a global trend, late payment, non-payment, it just—I mean—is this just a pure economics issue, or is there something deeper that we should be thinking about in terms of that world of people owing money to us as business people and making those account payments happen? What? Are, where? Where? Do, what do you see out there, Mark? You see this day in and day out. Richard, I think it's a—it's a combination of economics, and then when you say something deeper, I think there there are a whole combination of factors that are that are adding to bad payment trends. Um, as I said, economics obviously pays a trend and tougher things get economically, the harder businesses are finding to pay their debt, finding it to pay their debt. Um, I also think that locally there is, well, what I've seen over the last couple of years is that the culture of payment is deteriorating and while this was purely something that was manifesting itself in the consumer segment, um, we're now seeing it in businesses as well where um, employees or uh, debtors, clerks and uh, creditors, clerks are being incentivized to pay, to stretch those payments. So if you can get your payment from 30 days and you can stretch it out to 45 days or 60 days, there's subtle incentives that are being mm. put out there. To do yeah. The afternoon off or the weekend away, because you managed to get it to 45 days rather than the traditional 30 days uh, when you were you know, to pay. It, it, it's actually quite sad that that is, is out there because the reality is, I mean, there are payment terms in place and people – I mean, I, I, I must tell you, I, I'm always shocked 
when I receive, and I do receive, and we, we see this in our business as, as the FD and financial manager providers, um, we, we get communication that comes to, to us that says, hi, we're big corporate X. Uh, we have an account with you. Uh, we will now be settling our account with you, uh, on a, you know, what was a 30 day account will now be settled 60 days. And if we do settle at 30 days, we now have, we will now, we will be taking a two and a half percent discount. And I'm going, Oh, that's nice. Um, you know, you're changing the terms and conditions of sale here, you know, and, and how we, how you're now repricing or pricing how I'm going to do business with you. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, it is concerning that, Big companies are able to do that, and they flex their muscle, obviously, in their buying power with smaller companies. And, uh, yeah, I, I've had the, you know, buyers of companies phone me up and say, look, you know, I'm being told I have to get this. Um, I don't really have a choice. So do me a favor. Just put up your price by 2.5% <laughs> in your next price increase and give yeah. us our 2.5% discount. And these people don't understand what they're doing, sure. but they're pushing for it. So just please give it to me because I really don't want to have to go around looking for a new supplier because I've been dealing with you for 15 years and I have no intention of dealing with anybody else in your specialist industry. Um, you know, please just do this so that I can get the accountants off my back. Um, so yeah, really scary when, when that sort of thing starts happening. Absolutely. And, and it is happening. It is happening. And sometimes the accountants may not realize that you're putting up your prices so you can get away with it. But if they're really sharp, they will pick it up. Mm. And I suppose it boils down to, um, how big a factor the business plays in your, in, in your business's turnover. If they your if they sixty percent of your business, I suppose you don't have much leeway to push back and say, "Look, I can't accept those terms." Mm. Unfortunately, you're going to have to take them. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's, not, it's not only the big corporates that are doing it; it's the more competitive things get, the more it happens. And if your competition comes along to them and says, "Look, we'll give you, we'll give you an extra thirty days to pay, and we'll give you an extra five percent," the client starts looking at it and scratching their head and going, "Well." How big a loyalty factor do I have? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you haven't differentiated your product or service and you're not actually solving the client's problem seamlessly and painlessly, uh, you could very well find yourself uh, explaining the, you know, sorry, I no longer need to deal with you. I don't want to deal with you scenario. Yeah. So really, it can be quite scary from that perspective. Now, yeah. Sorry, just one thing I wanted to add on, on the differentiated um, portion. Sometimes it's not even just differentiating um, yourself in terms of the product that you provide, but the processes behind the whole um, flow of, of invoices, etc. Mm-hmm. I think that's also very uh, important. Explain. Uh, what do you mean by that context? Explain what, what you're referring to there. Well, what I mean is you, 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 it's the whole it's the whole level of value that you're adding to your business. If you're making it easy for your for your client to pay you mm-hmm. and you, your invoices are getting there on time, your statements are arriving on time, et cetera, et cetera, you make it that much harder for them to move. If your reconciliations are done, et cetera, et cetera, if your proof of deliveries, if you're supplying goods to them are, are, are easy to find and there's not a big schlep at the end of every month and everyone's scrambling to provide the necessary paperwork, I think that can also be a point of differentiation. Mm. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, and I, and, and I guess it, it goes to that whole principle of going electronically or going electronic, making sure that your invoicing and all your supporting documentation is out there. Um, it's, it, it's easy for the client to get to. I know one of the things that, that I've pushed quite hard with many, many clients and as, you know, from a, let's call it a value add perspective is to say that you want to have electronic invoice delivery. You want to have your proof of supply, so proof of service, proof of delivery, whatever it may be, electronically available to to your clients out there, and and the ability to get rid of the oh I'm sorry I didn't pay you because I didn't have a proof of delivery or you didn't supply me with the proof of delivery, to be able to say well here's the system you guys log into it and or here's the electronic means to access all of the supporting documentation you need, so you actually don't have an excuse to say I didn't get the X, Y, or Z, because I think that's often mm. used, you know, the snail mail, you know, I didn't get your proof of delivery, so I didn't process your 20 invoices because I didn't get the proof of delivery for the 50 rand invoice that's sure. that's in the million rand that's pile. Absolutely right. Yeah. Don't give them an excuse not to pay. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a little bit about this whole question of efficient systems, using systems, and 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 also being aware of what your clients are doing. So, you know, I'm very aware of cutoff dates that exist in in uh, customers' environments. You know, if you don't have the invoice in at X Y Z large corporate by the 25th of the month, even though you have a 30 days from statement uh, credit term with them, if your invoices aren't there by the 25th. They are going to be held over and only be paid another month later, if you're mm. with me. So, you know, you, you miss the, uh, miss the cutoff, so to speak. You sent the invoices on the 28th. They are going to only be processed on the 29th, which means you will not be paid at the end of the following month. It'll take an additional month before you get your money. Um, and yeah, I've seen a lot of companies play that game of, sorry, you know, you missed our cutoff. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where, you know, Sorry, I you you were emailed the invoice the day of service, so no, there was no cutoff problem. You guys didn't act on it, but that's not my problem. That's your problem. Here's the proof that you actually did receive your invoice on time and before cutoff. You better make a plan, Mister Client. Absolutely right. <clears throat> the, the processes, your systems have got to be proactive, and and what you're alluding to as well is if if um, you got, if, if your company's sitting there waiting for the client to come back and say, look, I didn't get X, Y, and Z, they may be silent and after 60 days you don't know what's going on and all of a sudden, so that your process has actually got to be proactive and they've got to be almost tick boxes that your debtor's mm. clerk has got to have that, mm. that ticks, did I have I got this in by this date? Did I get it stamped by the mailroom? Sometimes it's a simple thing like that when you're dealing with a municipality mm. that before the invoice goes up, Upstairs, it's got to have a signature, or a stamp and a signature, a date and time stamp, sorry, from the mailroom. Mm. You've got to make sure that your invoice has got that on. Mm. Although, Mark, I must, and I'm going to bash them on air because I just can. I must tell you, I'm really amazed at the moment at the Joburg City Council. Mm. I got an invoice from them for services uh, on about the 9th of September with a due date of the 26th of September. And on the 28th of September, I got a termination notice on my gate. Okay. They don't even know when my payment mm. – uh, I mean, uh, you can't tell me that they've processed payments that arrived on the 26th by the morning of the 28th to put a pre-termination notice on my gate. But I can guarantee you 
on my next invoice from the council, I will be billed 278 rand for the pre-termination notice. Okay. And I look at this and I go, hmm, that's interesting. And you know how I know that I'll have that bill? Because I've had, this is the third month I'm having a pre-termination notice delivered to my premises two days after the due date on, on the, on the invoice. What I find really interesting, and I'm going to be taking this up with the council and their fraud line. So council beware. It's coming your way is now the question, who is actually being paid? to deliver all of these pre-termination notices and is there not something fraudulent going on here because somebody is having their uh, you can't tell me that the council is benefiting from issuing pre-termination notices two days after due date i mean i'm pretty sure all the phone calls they're getting from error rate customers etc somebody's somebody's taking uh upside on this one but yeah it, it goes to this whole point of you know managing processes and cutoffs properly making sure all the right stuff is done you know in our case of the Joburg city council i can tell you now that they're not checking that all their payments have been processed into accounts to make sure they're not issuing pre-termination notices on accounts that have in fact been paid so yeah you know you've paid your account on time yet now they're going to put a 278 buck bill on my next bill and i'm going to have to fight with them to get it off because mm. they actually have paid somebody else to actually deliver an invalid notice, so to speak. So, yeah, you've got to be really careful with your processes in that world and, yeah, getting really, trying to get really smart about it, you know, makes you, makes you wonder about that one. So, Mark, just a question. I mean, obviously part of this whole, let's call it efficient, um, uh, efficient systems, etc. I mean, there must be a pre, sales assessment process to check out these guys before we sell to them. I mean, uh, th- it, that goes without saying that we want to check out who you're selling to and what, what credit lines you're giving them. I mean, is it back in the day, you know, people would say, oh, I'm just going to do a quick bank code on my customer, you know, ask their bank or ask my bank to ask their bank if they're okay. Nowadays, I think it needs to go a lot further than that. What are you seeing people doing out there? Absolutely. Uh, the days of just getting a bank code are no longer, I, I don't think it's anywhere close to being good enough. Um, obviously, checking credit references is a very important step in the whole credit rating process. Um, but they're also not going to put the guys that they've been stringing along for 120 days as credit references. So you've got to apply your mind when you look at the references. Um, I think there's quite a lot of good information out there that the credit bureaus hold and that you can go in and check. Obviously, if you're going to check credit bureau information, you've got to get permission from the potential client before you actually go and access that information. But I think that's key in terms of um, of, of doing an assessment. I think there's some really clever credit scoring models that some of the bureaus put out as well, and it's not a bad idea to have a look at those or even build a little model of your own. And what I also say to, to clients when I speak to them is just have a look. And this is just part of an internal assessment in terms of impact on, on your own business is what is the contract value potentially? How big is it in relation to my total turnover? And again, if you, if you're looking at landing a potential new contract that's going to boost your turnover by 50 or 60%, You've got to understand what the ramifications are going to be on your business if they string you out for 90 days. 
Mm. So there, there, there are things like that, but there are definitely some clever pre-assessment sales tools that that, that you can use, and um, those sit in the domain of the credit bureaus mainly. Mm. No. And um, yeah. sorry, just one thing on on the assessment side. I, I came across um, a company recently that do something in the construction sector, and they do a report. They put out a report on a monthly basis, just um, outlining what different companies' exposures are. They, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what goes into that assessment, but they'll be able to look at some of the, the players in the market in the construction business. And when you're putting together a deal or you're looking at taking, say, a construction firm on board, you can look and see how much exposure they have out there in the market. Now, that's an interesting element because it's it's not just exposure to you. It's exposure to let's call it the Correct. market and industry. Hmm, that's an interesting. Absolutely right. I think it's very, and, and especially for normal terms. And I, I, I haven't seen one of the reports, so I, I stand under correction, but I think they do specify sort of um, how old the debt is. And if the industry, let's say the industry norm is to get paid 45 days, if there's somebody out there that's got a significant amount of money sitting in 90 days, you've got to start asking yourself the question, why is that? It may even be why are they knocking on your door because they're starting to run out of credit credit with their current suppliers. Mm. Now, Mark, I mean, you know, payment terms, payment methods, you know, limits, terms and conditions, all of these things are, are really critical in, in, in terms of defining, um, you know, w- what's happening in your debtor's, uh, debtor's book. I mean, what is your experience? Are, are people – spending time and energy getting these terms and conditions right and their credit policies and defining credit terms. What happens if you don't get that right? I mean, let's ask the question, you know, so let's not waste our time on this. Just let's go with, let's call it common practice. Is that good enough anymore? Or do you need to be very careful and, you know, what do the banks always say in those adverts? T's and C's apply. <laughs> No, I think they are very important, um, but I, I think they can't be viewed as something that I'll do this once off when I take the client on and never go back and review them again. Mm-hmm. I think um, they constantly need to be assessed um, in light of what's happening out there. And if you are getting paid late, then understand why is you being paid late. And, um, uh, mm-hmm. and if there is a problem, possibly renegotiate some of the terms if you're worried about not getting your money in, maybe offer a bit of a bigger settlement discount and make sure that you're at the front of the queue so that when the guy's busy divvying up cash for the following month, you're top of the you're at the top of the list. Yeah. But I think, and and what I do often see is that when a relationship starts to go south in terms of the payments that are being made, it's because either the credit limit has been exceeded or some of the terms haven't been adhered to. I think. You know, and, and I'm in business myself, so it's a fine line that we, we, we take when, when asking for money and how sort of assertive to be. But, you know, we often give our clients a bit of leeway and the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not saying don't do that. But I think when doing that, be very clear in the communication and say, look, these are our normal terms. I know we're going outside of them. It's a one-off thing because of some special circumstance. It cannot become the norm. Mm. Because very often that's where things start to go wrong and um, what is a once-off arrangement to pay 60 days suddenly becomes mm. de facto the norm every month. Well, I must tell you, I, 
I sent out a, a note uh, to a few, uh, to a number of clients uh, with one of our clients, and I got back a response from a very large company that said, based on this letter drafted back in uh, twenty in two thousand and seven, um, from person X, um, they agreed the following payment terms. Now you're stipulating to different payment terms, and I'm like, okay. So you think you can refer to a letter that is 10 years old and where the person has left the employer of the company more than three years ago on on, yeah. a, on the client side and you still want to now have an argument with me about whether I have the mandate or we have the mandate as the company to change what the policy and what, what's happening. I'm like – um, what is the relevance of this conversation? I'm telling you the policy is changing and the terms are changing on the following basis. And this is how we're moving forward. And yeah, they got very, very agitated because somebody 10 years ago committed to a certain payment profile with them. And I'm like, you know what, guys, um, the world has moved on and the way we do business has moved on. Absolutely. So yeah, really, really scary when that sort of thing starts happening and, and, and people don't, uh, don't realize that they have to move with the times, so to speak. Absolutely. And, and I think maybe in the, in, in the corporate world it's not as applicable, but when you're dealing with smaller businesses and there's a big reaction coming from some change in term or because you've stopped supply or something like that, I think you need to take note of the reaction and go, well, this reaction is completely out of proportion. Why are they reacting this way? And ask yourself the question, is there some bigger problem that I'm not aware of in the background that their, 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 their cash flow is deteriorating or something's happening and, and that's, all, that's the reason why you're getting such a big pushback. No. So just with regards to that, it's very interesting, um, you know, you're talking about processes and systems and, you know, when people are pushing back or there's responses based on, um, you know, sort of outdated information. What does the nature of engagement need to be? So let's say you have your terms and your T's and C's are sorted and you've got that in and, um, and now you're in the, in, in, it's in the collection phase. Um, how, what kind of, what is the relationship you actually need to have with the, with either your client that you're waiting for payment from, if it's a large corporate or even a smaller business where you've rendered a service? So besides all the paperwork systems and processes, what is that level? What is the nature rather of engagement? needed um i think look obviously the nature of the engagement will change if you if, if we maybe going into the realm of collection mm. um but i think you know we've still got to make sure that we adhere to all the t's and c's in sure. terms of what has been agreed to up front and i hope i'm, I'm I, I got the gist of the question um but making sure that 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 all the t's and c's etc as i said are, are all adhered to i think is very important and obviously there is a little bit more, there, there's, there's, there's now sort of, it's, the, the relationship's becoming a little bit more adversarial. Mm. And I think what's very important for the collection agent to, to bear in mind and for the, for the client appointing the collection agent is what is the outcome? Do they still want to have a business relationship with <laughs> right. the, the debtor afterwards? Absolutely. Or is the relationship too, is it too far gone? They'll never be dealing with each other. And I think, it's quite different in terms of the approach, whether it's um, a rehabilitation that they're after or if it's a straight-out collection. Mm. So it's go and collect whatever you can, and that's it. And not in terms of 
Um, look, there, there are rules and laws in terms of what can and can't be done, but it's just the nature of the interaction. I think when rehabilitation is the end goal, um, there's always a little bit more leniency and, and it's always open to, open to a bit more negotiation. Mm. So, Mark, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I look at this and I go, you know, I want to maintain a healthy working relationship with, with, with people. Um, but I think often, you know, people don't, don't think of it as there, there, there's this almost got to be a win-win scenario. And I will never forget, we've had a guest on the show, um, Tim Jordan from JPAC, and he told the story of how he um, – you know, he has this conversation with people. To he calls up and he says, "You know, I'd like to chat to you. My money is in your bank account, and I'd like to understand what I need to do to get my money from your bank account into my <laughs> bank account." And 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 people are quite taken aback mm. by this. And and then he says to them, when they go like, "What, what do you mean?" He says, "Well, you've stolen my money. My, right. The money that should be in my bank account is sitting in your bank account. So I need to help you." And we need to talk about how I'm going to get this problem fixed. And, you know, then he says to people, you know, when they get, if they get a little bit agitated, he says, you know, no, guys, we've got to have win-win situations here, not win-lose. Yeah. Mm, and when my yeah. money is in your bank account, you're winning and I'm losing. Mm. So I believe in win-win, mutually beneficial win-win scenarios. So let's, let's agree on how we're going to do this. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to see people's reactions when you when you start having those conversations. I think the one thing that also kind of comes out quite quite quickly is if if you do terminate supply and put holds on accounts, mm. what I've often found is that the people at the coalface who are using your services are not the people exactly. who make the call about when you get paid. And so I've often found that you you you're pushing let's call it internal conflict inside their organization. When you say, I'm sorry, I can't provide you X because your account has not been paid. Then suddenly there's a flurry of activity mm. in the background. And then it's quite interesting to see how agitated the accounts payments people get when the factory manager or the head of whatever comes down on them like a ton of bricks about not paying the yeah. account. And now all of a sudden services have been suspended. Um, you know, and I, I personally have the view of the first thing you do is terminate services to people uh, when accounts haven't been paid because that starts the conversation up immediately internally in, within the organization. And it also sends the message loud and clear that you're not going to tolerate non-payment as, mm. as an organization. I mean, I, I have a principle of 15 days past payment date, services are put on hold. We don't uh, – I, I like to use the word services are placed on hold for non-payment. And I tell you, it's it's amazing how that use of terminology gets people's attention. Mark, just yep. I mean, well, collections is a last resort. I mean, your world is about collections. Is collections yes. your last resort? Should you be trying to collect out earlier? What's your view? I think I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. I think the most important thing in terms of is understanding understand your book. Mm -hmm. Understanding your customers, I think, is, is hugely important. There's some customers that if you know them well enough and, they, and they've got you at 90 days, you know that they're going to pay it down and they'll, they'll start trading normally. And there are other customers that once you get to 90 days, you know that you've actually lost 30 days and should have been in collections at 60 days. And I, I'm sort of drawing out the extreme here. But 
I, I do think that um, it's, it's something that needs to be managed on a, almost a client-by-client client basis, although if you're dealing with a big consumer book, you don't have that luxury. There have to be rules that are put in place that will trigger certain collections processes. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, are Part of the role I sometimes play is the role of mediation, and mm-hmm. I'm happy to say that in more cases than not, we've been able to successfully mediate a relationship where payments start coming online. They may not be 100% payment, and it may be over a period of a year, but the benefit is that the business retains a customer, and there's also a massive loyalty factor that gets built up if you're able to manage that process properly and rehabilitate the client. Mm, so it's about, it's, so, about keep, it's about keeping an even keel and doing what's right, but at the same time not being right. taken advantage of. Yeah. And also, sorry, Richard, also just being very clear about the terms of engagement. I mean, what you spoke about earlier in terms of stopping supply, your customers know it's 15 days overdue, you're going to stop supply services. That sort of thing can't come as a surprise and your customers scratching their head and saying, I didn't know this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you are communicating what the terms of engagement are right from the beginning and you're consistent in the application of those terms, I think then... What it does is a, it makes the decision a lot easier for when you need to hand over to connections. It makes it a lot clearer, and all parties know exactly where they stand. Mm, that's true. That's true. That was our guest, Mark Essie, CEO of Debt In. Next up in our business is our business conversation. Stay with us. This is CliffCentral.com.